Welcome to Inside Scoop Live. Hello, I'm Sherry Hoyt, and I'm your host. Today I'm speaking with Nicole Taylor, author of Schools on Fat, What Teens Tell Us About Gender, Body Image, and Obesity. Before we start, let's learn a little bit more about Nicole. Nicole Taylor is an anthropologist who explores contemporary social issues related to education and health through the analytic lens of language practices. Her research includes teasing and bullying in schools, childhood obesity, and body image concerns and social media use among youth. She holds bachelor's and master's degrees in English and a doctorate in anthropology from the University of Arizona. Following graduate school, she worked in nonprofit and corporate settings conducting research in the areas of substance abuse, education and poverty, childhood obesity, and school climate. Nicole then served for five years as the Director of Scholar Programs at the School for Advanced Research in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Before returning to Texas State University, her undergraduate alma mater, to accept a faculty position. For more information on Nicole Taylor and her book, Schooled on Fat, visit her website at innovativeethnographies.net slash schooled on fat. Hi, Nicole. Welcome to Inside Scoop Live. Hi, Sherry. Thanks so much for having me. To begin, why don't you tell our listeners a bit about your book, School on Fat? Sure. I decided to write the book and do the research because body image is such a pervasive concern among youth in our country and our society. Especially now, I think it's a particularly unique time. Over the past 20 years, obesity has become a really pressing issue You know, in popular media, in politics, and on the news. You hear a lot about obesity as a concern, as a national concern, being blamed for rising health care costs and a weakening of national security. And I wondered how adolescents in particular were navigating this. You know, adolescents who are already concerned with body image issues and going through, you know, pretty big physiological changes as they move through puberty. And most of the research that was out there prior to my doing the research on the book was mostly quantitative, large-scale quantitative studies. Mm -hmm. Um, They gave us kind of the broad brushstrokes information about how adolescents felt about body image, what their dieting behaviors were, those sorts of things. But I really wanted to understand it from their perspective. I really wanted to dive in deeply and do an ethnographic study where I immersed myself into a community of adolescents which was the high school, you go every day, do in-depth interviews, hang out with them at lunch, work out with them during PE classes, you know, when some of the body image issues are sort of heightened as they're exercising in front of their peers and such. I wanted to offer that sort of in-depth perspective and foreground their voices. And so that was kind of the impetus for the book. Mm -hmm. And so in the book, I explore their experiences of body image, you know, both boys and girls at the high school, and also how they made decisions about what to eat and navigated the school food environment, the extent to which they felt comfortable exercising in PE, and kind of what played into that, and really looking at the intersection of all of these kinds of things that are connected to body image and how youth make sense of that and navigate that and experience it in their everyday lives. Yeah. And how receptive were the students to your research methods? They were surprisingly very receptive. And I say surprisingly because I wasn't sure, especially with boys. At the time that I did the research, there wasn't a lot out there on boys. Almost all the research was focused on girls. And so I thought, I'm a woman. Are boys really going to sign up to be in my study and have in-depth conversations with me about how they feel about their bodies? 
And I was surprised. I didn't really have much trouble recruiting students, both boys and girls. When I initially presented the study to the teens through PE classes, you know, and I'd start off by telling them a little bit about what I was doing and asking, what do you guys think about body image? What is body image? And hands would shoot up in the air, both boys and girls. And not only would they answer the question, but they would start talking in front of their peers about how they experienced body image and what some of their concerns were, both boys and girls. And so I knew early on that was a good sign. They were very forthcoming and very open with me and really kind of opened up their inner worlds over the course of the year. It was surprisingly easier than I thought it would be. Yeah, that is surprising, especially, as you said, for boys. They didn't talk about it so much with each other. Mm -hmm. It was kind of a taboo about, you know, how girls definitely talk about body image with each other. Um, You know, there's a book by Mimi Nichter called Fat Talk where she explores this in depth. And I found the same thing in my work. But they definitely opened up and talked about it with me. I think that the ethnographic approach to my research and to anthropological research really helps with that because what we do that's a little bit different than what some other uh, social science scholars do is we really embed ourselves in communities. So I showed up every day for a year and hung out with them and worked out in PE classes alongside them. And I think them seeing me make myself vulnerable in some of those ways, help Mm -hmm. them to, you know, feel more comfortable opening up. That's great. Can you tell us a little bit more about the ethnographic approach? Yeah, absolutely. In anthropology, one of the hallmark methodologies that we use is called participant observation. And so in addition to doing, you know, in-depth individual interviews and focus group interviews and sometimes surveys, which are all methods that are used by other social sciences like sociology and psychology, for example, we do participant observation. We, you know, move into a community. I mean, you know, the sort of classic anthropological work that you may know about is, you know, anthropologists sort of flying out to the edges of the world and to these remote communities and living among the people for a year or longer and participating in the community and observing the community day in and day out to really understand what their day-to-day experiences are and what their day-to-day lives look like and also experiencing it firsthand by being there and participating. So that's essentially what I did. I uh, I showed up every day and I moved through the day with teenagers all day long in classes, at lunch. Uh, you know, I participated sometimes sort of on the edges and sometimes I jumped right in and became part of the group. Mm-hmm. And so in this way, the idea is that over time, people become more comfortable as they see you every day, as you become known as a part of the community and they're more likely to open up to you, and they're less likely to sort of perform. If you just show up and do a one-time observation and they know you're observing them, people are likely to perform for you. Right. But people are less likely to perform if you show up day after day for a year. They get used to you. You kind of become one of them, kind of, sort of. You're able to observe more natural interaction. Mm-hmm. Before we get too much further, I wanted to note for our listeners that School Gone Fat received a couple of awards in our Reader Views Literary Awards program, taking home first place in the Societal Issues category, and also the Reviewer's Choice Award for Best Nonfiction Book of the Year. What was your reaction when you learned of these awards? I was so excited and so humbled by this. 
you know, it's really important to me to write a book that appealed to a popular audience. This is not common among academics and in academic worlds. Typically, scholars write books for other scholars. Mm -hmm. um, it's how you get tenure. It's how you get promoted within the university system. And there's a real emphasis on scholarly work. And I definitely wanted to write a scholarly book. I wanted it to be theoretically engaged. I wanted my academic audience, the focus was an undergraduate audience in social sciences. But I also felt really strongly that I wanted to write a crossover book if I could. I really wanted to write a book that appealed to just regular people who experience the kinds of things that I'm writing about in the book. And so throughout the writing process, I pilot tested chapters with high school students, with high school teachers and counselors and people who worked with youth, with parents that I knew who had teenagers, to get their feedback on the extent to which it resonated with them and the extent to which it was readable for them. And I revised and I edited based on that feedback as much as I revised and edited based on the sort of scholarly and academic feedback I got from, you know, my academic peers. And so it really meant a lot to me that I got these awards based on popular readership. Yeah, I was wondering about your target audience. I know while I was reading it, I felt that it does contain a lot of data, but it was presented in an easy-to-read and, and understand manner. Do you have teenagers reading it and giving you feedback as well? Yeah, I do. And my husband's a high school teacher, and he keeps a few copies in his classroom. Oh, wow. And just circulates them around the schools, you know, whatever school he's teaching in. And I have gotten really good feedback from students who have read it. And that, I mean, that means maybe more to me than, you know, even kudos that I get from fellow academics because, the teenagers that I spent a year with opened up their lives and their minds and their emotions to me in a way that was really humbling. And I really wanted to give back to that community. I really wanted to write a book that, you know, even teenagers in high school could read and relate to. And so anytime I get positive feedback from a teenager, it means a lot and it feels so great. Yeah, and how can the book help teens as they go through this period in their lives? Well, my hope is that um, the teenage years are so intense mm -hmm. <laughs> emotionally. You know, there's a lot of hormonal stuff going on, a lot of physiological stuff, and emotions run high, and, and relationships are very intense. And I, I think a lot of times when people are struggling with something, they can feel like they're all alone in it, mm -hmm. especially when you're a teenager. You can feel like, you know, you're kind of in it on your own. And so my hope was that writing a book where I shared these experiences and, you know, really tried to foreground the voices of the teenagers, that when teens read that, they would feel less alone and they would understand that this is a really common experience, that the chances are if they look around their classroom or their school, most everybody is experiencing these same kinds of body image concerns and insecurities that they're experiencing. And so my hope is that they might feel less alone in that. And that my hope is also that they might feel empowered because even though the popular media shows us these airbrushed images that are totally unrealistic, the reality is that if you look at BMI, body mass index, over time, as a population, we're getting larger. And so we're moving further and further away from those ideals that popular media tells us we're supposed to aspire to. And so I also kind of wanted to provide perspective and show adolescents who read this book, you know, here's 
what you're told to aspire to, but here's the reality. You mm-hmm. know, here's really what we're all kind of looking like and what our body size as a population is sort of moving towards. So, you know, to sort of normalize something, normalize the actual norm instead of what gets normalized in popular media. Right. Do you think one gender is more likely to be targeted over the other for bullying and teasing as it relates to body image? I think what I found kind of mirrors what's out there in the body image and teasing literature, which is that both boys and girls experience teasing and bullying around body image and body size, but it looks different. Mm -hmm. The research shows, and this was true in my my own study as well, that relational bullying is most common. And relational bullying is things like, you know, excluding someone from the group or gossiping behind their back, and that that was really pervasive, especially among girls. Mm -hmm. For boys, that happened, but it was also a lot of direct teasing. And so uh, even though I couldn't do direct observations in the the locker room for obvious reasons, Mm -hmm. boys shared with me, what went on in there. And it was physically aggressive and sometimes violent, hurting each other, destruction of each other's property. And so I found that it was both. But for girls, it was definitely much more relational. For boys, it was relational, but it was also direct and sometimes really physical. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. How does one teach children and teens to have a healthy, respectful relationship with their bodies? It it seems like it's so easy to send the wrong or even mixed messages. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is really tricky, especially because we're all subject to popular media images, which idealize this sort of unrealistic body ideal for both men and women. And so I think that parents, teachers, anybody who works with youth needs to be really mindful about how they're consuming media images and media messages and how they're talking in their day-to-day lives about body image. I mean, what I found was that the youth in my study, and you know, if you tune into it, you'll hear it in your everyday life as well. All of us will. People talk about body image in this sort of unconscious way all day long. It's sort of this constant banter, whether it's oh, I really shouldn't eat that, it's almost swimsuit season, or, oh, it's the holidays and I've already been gaining weight, Um, I should really work out more, or, oh, my clothes are getting tight. You know, we all sort of engage in this. It's so normalized Mm -hmm. in our society that I think that anybody who works with youth really needs to be mindful about changing that narrative and changing the way that we think about and talk about body image. And then also, I think, you know, providing explicit counter narratives too about what's realistic and what's really the norm and learning to take care of your body and think about taking care of your body in a way that doesn't center on body size. So how do we eat in a way that nourishes our health How do we get physical activity and move our bodies in a way that keeps us energized and feeling good? So even moving language around eating and exercise away from body size and getting us to reach this goal of how we want to look is important. Yeah, I know I struggle with that, and I think part of that is because of what was ingrained in me growing up, that the number on the scale is all that matters. And to this day, I'll get on the scale every day, and I'm a pound or two off. There's a little instant where I kind of say, oh, my gosh, you'd think you'd outgrow that, but it's hard. Yeah, yeah. It, really, it really imprints. And I think 
that anybody who's really honest with themselves would admit to experiencing something similar to what you just described. And so I think all the more reason why we really have to be mindful about what we're teaching our kids because it does stick with us. Mm -hmm. Inside Scoop Live is a global internet-based broadcast specialized in interviewing published authors about their current books and their areas of expertise. Join us and hear both well-known and upcoming writers talking candidly about their life experience as well as the business of being an author in today's literary world. Always interesting and current, we strive to bring our audience high-quality discussions that spotlight a vast diversity of authors in the field today. Our interviews are available 24-7 through direct podcasts as well as MP3 download from your computer for your convenience. Please visit us at InsideScoopLive.com. Welcome back to Inside Scoop Live. Today I'm talking with Nicole Taylor, author of Schooled on Fat. What teens tell us about gender, body image, and obesity. You can learn more about Nicole Taylor and her book, Schooled on Fat, at innovativeethnographies.net slash schooled on fat. When is the right time to talk about these issues with our children? Is it ever too early? I'm not really sure. I mean, I think, you know, I have a five-year-old. He'll be five next month. And we don't explicitly talk about body image, except if it comes up organically. For example, if we're reading a book, and it's appalling actually how large kids are portrayed in children's books. Mm -hmm. And so if we're reading a book and there's a character, whether it's an animal character or a human character that's large, and there's some rhetoric around how that's a bad thing, Mm. how that's a negative thing, you know, we'll pause and just take the opportunity to say, you know what, people come in all different shapes and sizes, and all of those shapes and sizes are perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. Everyone is born and built differently. And that's the extent to which we have those conversations now. And my husband and I are also just really, really careful about, you know, not getting on the scale in front of our kid, not talking about if we've gained a few pounds in front of our kid, and, you know, really trying to model what we want from him. And, you know, as he gets older and starts coming home and telling stories about how his peers are getting made fun of because they're fat or they're bigger or they look different, Every single time that will be an opportunity to sit down with him and talk about how it's okay to be different and that everybody's unique and different and looks their own way and that that's fine. That's our approach. I hope that that (laughs) works. I hope that that's a good approach. But I, I think that, you know, just being open and taking those moments to try to provide a counter narrative is, I think, the best we can do. Yeah. So to change course a bit, I'm interested in learning more about your muse. Is she cooperative? And what does she contribute to your process? (laughs) (laughs) So we have a black cat named Ginny. And so I do most of my writing, really all of my writing at home, in bed. I like (laughs) to write in bed with my laptop because it provides a space for her to snuggle with me. And so while I write, she curls up, you know, at my side or at my feet. And, you know, when, I, when I'm when i thinking about an idea or pause to think about what I want to type next, 
I'll just reach over and pet her and she purrs and it's very soothing. And so it just feels very supportive and comforting to have that companionship. Uh, She also helps kind of snap me out of my, when I get into my zone, she's very loud. She meows a lot and she's not demure about letting me know what she wants. And she's very (laughs) persistent. She will not take no for an answer. And so she kind of helps snap me out of it sometimes and kind of tune into her needs and what's going on around me, which is also helpful. Typical cat behavior, too. It's about me, not you. (laughs) Exactly. I will say that she does leave the computer keyboard alone. Um, She doesn't try to walk across it, you know, to grab my attention. She's pretty content to just sort of lay in the crook of my arm and and get pets that way. So I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I don't have to delete what she types with her paws. (laughs) That's great. Now, on a personal note, what are some of your guilty pleasures? Well, I love to read fiction. Uh, My favorite are mystery novels. I really like Susan Wittig Albert. She writes books, uh, for those of you who don't know, that take place in a town called Pecan Springs, which is in central Texas. Hmm. And it reminds me very much of San Marcos. Uh, There's a river that runs through it. There's a big university in Pecan Springs. And when I lived in Portland, Oregon, after graduate school, and it was very gray, you know, lots of gray, rainy days, Mm -hmm. I used to go to Powell's and spend the whole afternoon thumbing through Susan Wittig Albert's books and eventually take a bunch home. And I would read them and kind of think about, fantasize what it would be like to come back to San Marcos and live here and work here and because this is where I went to college. And those books kind of helped get me through the gray days in Portland. And it's exciting to be back here and to reread her books now that I'm back here with an, with an eye toward, you know, what, what might that place be and where is she talking about? And so it's fun. And then I also like beach novels. I'm a really big fan of uh, Ellen Hildebrand and uh, Nancy Thayer. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why, but I love beach novels that take place on Nantucket. I've never been to Nantucket, but I don't know if it's the way the authors write about it or if the place itself is really just kind of like magical and special, and that's reflected in the books. But I love reading books about the beach, probably because I love going to the beach. Yeah. yeah. And then I love anything by Jodi Pico. I'm a big fan of hers. I like superhero movies. I just saw the most recent Wonder Woman movie and it's phenomenal is it yeah it's very good i'm probably going to go see it again really wow yeah yeah it's it's really amazing it's uh, a woman directed it and it's very um feminist oriented and empowering it's really really well done wow that sounds great i'll have to check that out yeah and what do you like to do to unwind Uh, i like to do yoga and take long walks I've had a yoga practice for about 15 years, and I practice at home a lot, especially after having a baby. And then, you know, a toddler, it's just hard to carve out the time. So I'll just lock myself away in a room for an hour and do yoga three or four times a week. It helps me be present, Mm -hmm. and it helps me to slow down also and be more mindful as I move through the day and that sort of breathless pace that I have. I also meditate. I just started meditating again after a five-year break. I stopped when my son was born Mm -hmm. because I just felt like I didn't have time. And how funny is that? It only takes 10 minutes a day. (laughs) But 
you know, and I, I, every time I thought, I, I really want to meditate, but I just don't have time, I would think, oh, that's ridiculous. It only takes 10 minutes a day. <laughs> but I've started again recently, and it's amazing what 10 minutes a day of just focusing on your breath can do. It really helps me to slow down and feel calmer all day long. I guess that must be an acquired skill because I have found that whenever I try it, my mind won't be quiet. It will not shut down. It's really hard. And I just started it about a month ago again after, you know, taking a basically a five-year hiatus. And I'm still struggling mm-hmm. um, to quiet my mind for 10 minutes a day. But I know from practicing before that if you just stick with it, you'll be able to get into it more and more deeply as you keep practicing. It's just about showing up and doing it every single day. Um, yeah. But yeah, it is hard to get into and, and train yourself to do. I also like to take long walks. So I wrote the book when I was living in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and what an amazing place to take long walks. It's so beautiful there, and there are desert trails like in the city, so I could drive for five minutes and park, and within five minutes of walking, I was completely away from civilization and traffic and all of it, and I could just go out there, you know, walk for an hour, take a break from writing, and it gave me, a, walking gives me a chance to kind of process my ideas and think through whatever project I'm working on. And it's just, it feels good to move my body and get my heart rate up and get some fresh air. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Talk about your passions. What drives Nicole Taylor? My family, first of all. Um, Mm. I feel inspired by my family every single day. My husband is a high school English teacher and he takes his job so seriously. He feels called to teach mm-hmm. and he's very dedicated and you know that ties into my research passion and my background and so that inspires me my my son is inspiring and and drives me to do better and be a better person every day and also the work that I did through this book with adolescents and schools really kind of gets at the heart of my passion for research I'm really interested in youth and how they engage in school and what they're influenced by and how they're shaped and how they're guided. And so I feel really strongly based on, you know, my experience as a high school teacher and as a researcher and as a mom that the family school community connection is so vital. It's vital for supporting youth. It's vital for supporting schools, for supporting parents in supporting youth. And I think that in communities where you have a strong family school and community connection, uh, I think you have the best chance of, you know, guiding youth in ways that are healthy and functional. Mm-hmm. Now, have you done or have you considered doing talks in schools or book tours? I have. I've given a couple of talks in uh, local schools, but in terms of a book tour, it's kind of challenging with, you know, a five-year-old. Yeah. And, and a full-time job. I have gone and given a couple of invited talks about my book, and you know, I'm certainly happy and thrilled to do that, but I have to kind of keep it within the confines of my you know, everyday responsibilities. Right. And what's next? Do you have plans for another book? I do. My next research project that I just wrote a grant for is looking at body image and social media among youth. With this book, a lot of people who read it ask, well, what about online? I mean, what about, you know, the, so many youth these days are so engaged in 
social media and that so much of their world is online. And so, like, how does that impact body image? And so it got me thinking uh, about that. It's a great question. And there's not a lot out there, actually, on uh, social media and body image. And so the next project that I plan to do, I'm going to look at college students instead of high school students. And I'm interested in how they experience body image and create looks in social media. Mm-hmm. You know, because there's all these different ways that you can kind of shape your look in social media through, like, photo filters and angles. So I want to take a look at that, and I'll do interviews and focus groups. But kind of the new methodology that I'm proposing to do is participant observation within social media, mm-hmm. you know, where I'm in Facebook and Snapchat or Instagram, you know, wherever they are, and engaging with them and observing them in these social media platforms to really understand like what their day-to-day experience in these online forums is like. What's your timeline for that? Like how long will the research take? Do you have a specific goal in mind? I do. I definitely want another book to come out of this research. You know, the thing about ethnography and the way that anthropologists do research is it takes time. It takes more time than doing um, a big survey and crunching the data. So currently my timeline is a year. So I want to spend the next school year doing interviews and engaging with college students in social media and, um, you know, kind of capturing as much of that data as I can. And then hopefully next uh, year, year and a half, so maybe two or two and a half years. I love that topic as well. It's very complimentary to your current book. So I look forward to it. Thanks. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Yeah. Now, to wrap things up, tell us about the companion website for Schools on Fat. What kind of information is available there for those interested in learning more? Yeah, absolutely. So the companion website is basically another, it was another opportunity to engage youth in body image in a more dynamic, multimodal sort of way. And so the book, Schooled on Fat, is part of an innovative ethnographies series uh, with Rutledge. And the idea of this series is that in addition to the narrative text, you know, the book, that the books in these series engage the topic in other creative ways, you know, whether it's uh, a companion documentary or arts-based inquiry, which is what I did. And so basically, I took this as an opportunity to engage with youth in a different area of the country 10 years after I did the research on this book in body image and exploring their experiences with body image. So I basically gave teenagers a very simple prompt. I said, express how you experience or how you think about body image in a creative way, either through a photo essay, poem, music, artwork, and uh, I got a lot of really great creative expressions back from both boys and girls, which was, again, really surprising to me. I did not think that this prompt would appeal to boys. Mm-hmm. I got I got a lot of drawings and artwork. I got some poetry, some photo essays, and probably two of my favorite are original musical compositions. Oh, wow. Um, I got a um, cello sonata. A boy wrote the cello sonata and performed it. And uh, a rap song, again, a boy wrote a rap song inspired by the prompt and performed it. So I think that's the most exciting part of the website is seeing these, you know, the book offers the narrative perspectives, firsthand perspectives of youth about how they experience body image. The website offers these creative, visual, musical 
expressions of how youth experience body image. Yeah. I also have a link on there with resources for uh, teens and parents and educators where they can learn more about kind of practical ways of supporting youth in body image. And I also wrote some stories about my own fieldwork experience and some of the more difficult aspects of what I navigated that year and, and how I managed it. And that was just inspired by the writing process. As I wrote the book, I kind of experienced how, you know, as you edit and revise and polish you end up portraying yourself as the researcher in this very poised way, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought I was anything but poised that year. <laughs> you know, it's you're working with teenagers and you know, they're they're awkward moments, they're challenging moments that really catch you off guard and your training doesn't prepare you for it. And you have to navigate this like in an instant. You have to figure out what you're going to do and Sometimes you get it right, sometimes you get it wrong. And I, so I wanted to offer, I wanted to pull back the curtain, so to speak, and offer a more sort of humanistic view of what it was like for me in the field. Yeah, that's great. It kind of offers a more realistic perspective, like, okay, she's normal, you know. (laughs) That's what I was going for. Yeah. Yeah. as As I read the book, I thought, well, first of all, you know, I, I certainly don't want to highlight my experiences in the book. I really, my goal was to really highlight the voices of the youth. But still, I mean, I felt like I didn't want to come off as this sort of, you know, all-knowing, wise <laughs> researcher, scholar, because that's not who I was. I was right. a graduate student in the field, and the days were hot and sweaty, and, you know, I was asking teenagers to open up about intimate parts of themselves, and that opens up awkward and challenging moments. And so, yeah, I just, I wanted to find a way to portray that. I wanted other researchers, especially graduate students or anybody who's new to it, to have a view of, okay, this is like the real version. This is, you know, it's okay to be goofy or embarrassed or embarrass yourself. It's okay to, you know, mess up in these ways and it's normal. Absolutely. And so where can readers uh, check out the companion website for the book? Sure. If you go to innovativeethnographies.net slash schooled on fat, you'll find the companion website. Perfect. Um, Nicole, thank you so much for joining me today. It's really been an eye-opening discussion and a great pleasure to have you on the show. I enjoyed it as well. To our listeners, thank you for joining me today on Inside Scoop Live for my interview with Nicole Taylor, author of Schooled on Fat. What Teens Tell Us About Gender, Body Image, and Obesity. You can find out more about Nicole and her book, Schooled on Fat, at her website, innovativeethnographies.net slash schooledonfat. And be sure to check out our other interviews at InsideScoopLive.com.